Uh, Thank you for that good singing. I invite you to take your Bible tonight and open to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. We are in the last chapter of the book of Philippians, chapter 4. And after, um, oh, I guess three, maybe maybe as many as four um, little sermons, we'll be finished the book of Philippians. So I anticipate that by the end of August, we'll be finished Philippians. And uh, I'm really feeling good about September to start in on Wednesday nights teaching the book of Revelation. So that is a marvelous book. And there's much to be learned. And we're not going to get through it all in one or two sermons. It's going to take us the better part of uh, uh, 12 months, probably, to work our way through uh, the book of Revelation. But it's thrilling. And in the light of things that are happening today, and I'm sad to say that there's more tragic things happening than encouraging things. But maybe the book of Revelation is good for us at this time. Help us to keep our eyes open, looking unto Jesus. Now, we began the book of Philippians just a a short few months ago. And we sort of followed a a little bit of an outline. At least the the chapter titles only. Um, J. Vernon McGee has a nice little outline. Chapter 1 was the philosophy of Christian living. Uh, Chapter 2 was the pattern for Christian living. Chapter 3 was the prize for Christian living. And now we come to chapter 4, and his title for the chapter is Power for Christian Living. Um, We are not following um, McGee's words. We're not following his outline verse by verse. All we're doing is following sort of the chapter title that he's giving it. That's all we're doing. And... um, the rest of it, we're, um, we're preaching uh, with our own outline. But uh, chapter 4 does deal a lot with this idea of power for Christian living. The whole book is a happy book. There's no question. The book of Philippians is a, a joy book. Uh, it talks about, uh, about the joy and the happiness there is in knowing and serving the Lord. But uh, folks, we, we live in a world that the devil has got a real hand in. And uh, of course, we see it more every day with uh, horrible things and shootings and even convulsions in the weather um, and uh, uh, the economy, the politics, uh, the diseases, the uh, things like um, earthquakes and tsunamis and things. It's all getting more and more. And the only thing you can count on these days is change. That's all you can count on. Like you wake up every morning and you say, well, let me check the news to see if the world is still here. Okay, we're here for another day. That's pretty much the the state of things. And the church finds itself in this world that's convulsing. But we have power available to us. And when I say the church, I'm talking about the people. That's what makes up the church. Uh, I'm sure if I asked you, do you know of anyone who's really going through a hard time, sort of almost their world is falling apart on them, and you probably do. <laughs> Maybe you're saying, yeah, me. <laughs> um, God has a power available for every one of us so that our world doesn't fall apart like that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not 
saying that uh, if you follow the Lord, you'll never be sick a day in your life. You'll never get fired from a job. You know, you'll never have a, a sorrow. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that these things will not destroy us. They destroy others, but they won't destroy us. The Lord in chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew said that whoever hears his word and, and does it, builds our lives upon his word. We're like building our life upon a rock, like building your house upon a firm foundation. And then he said, uh, the storms came, the wind came, the rain came and beat upon the house, but it stood still. But then there was the man who doesn't build his life upon the words of God and doesn't build his life on the promises of God. And the same storms come and the same wind and the same rain and the house fell flat. And that's what we're seeing more and more happening around us. That's why it's very important that we give heed to what God has to say. And um, if you have a Bible and you study and read your Bible every day, that's to your benefit. And that will bless also those around you in your family. Now, chapter four, uh, as I mentioned, deals with power, power for Christian living. And because the devil is so real and so active in the world, churches are not immune and churches can face um, trouble, even great trouble. And that's why we need great uh, promises from the word of God, great words of God to help us to be um, uh, all we can, a good church, good Christian, solid as well. And so we're going to um, only get through two or three verses tonight. So it's not a big, long, in-depth Bible study. But we will be looking at a couple other uh, companion verses in the Bible, comparing a little bit. We'll be doing that. But I want you to see tonight, as we deal with the subject, how to be a good church. Now, I call it how to be a good church, but remember I'm talking about the people. So you could say how to be a good Christian. You could do that. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it's with happy hearts that we come to you tonight in prayer and we ask, Lord, that you would undertake for us once again as you're always willing to do. And Lord, we thank you that you have a, a heart of joy toward us, your children, that you don't scorn us, mock us. You're not hard on us. You're certainly not a hard taskmaster. We had enough of that when, before we were saved and the devil was our taskmaster the devil was our father we left all that behind to come into your family through jesus christ and what a joy it is to know you more and more our father please teach us more of this joy of uh, being in fellowship with you and walking with you day by day and it's sad but it's true father that not enough of your children spend enough time with you and so to them, the Christian life is just business as usual. That's a shame because it's an exciting life to walk with you and talk with you. And the Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, his greatest moments of joy was when he was alone with you. And so he's our example. Help us tonight, dear Heavenly Father. Help us as we study this chapter four. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're going to start with verse 1. We're going to call this a great command. A great command. And so, um, read the verse out loud with me, please. Chapter 4, verse 1. 
Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Well, you can really see how much the apostle loved the people in the church at Philippi. He, he, uh, he started this church. He knew them so well. It must have been difficult for him to have to say goodbye and move on and start other churches. But um, he held them in his heart. They were really near and dear to them, to him. Did you know that there are some Christians that are so easy to love, other Christians that aren't as easy to love? Have you noticed that? And these Christians were easy to love. This church here was filled with loving Christians that uh, loved the Lord and loved the Apostle. But he gives them a command, and it's a great command, and it's this. Stand fast in the Lord. Now he's speaking to the entire church. To the um, seniors and to the juniors and to the men and to the women. uh, As well as to uh, pastors and the deacons and all of the people in the church. We don't know how large the church was. Um, We don't know if it was a hundred or more people or less. We we don't know. But uh, we do know a little bit about it. And he's speaking to the, the entire church. And he, he says, brethren, therefore, my brethren, uh, he calls them dearly beloved and longed for. And this is very important. How do you feel about the people here in your church? Keep your finger there in Philippians 4 and turn to the right. And we're going to go to the book of 1 John. Almost to the end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John and chapter 2. And I'm going to get your help to read with me. I want you to read out loud verse 9. 1 John chapter 2 verse 9. Read it out loud together. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. It's sad, but that attitude is in many churches today. And there are many people that don't seem to think anything wrong with it. There are some in the church they love and there are some in the church they hate. And that seems to be normal for them. Whereas that is an abnormal situation in the heart of any true born-again believer. We can't go around hating God's children. There are some of God's children that are a little more challenging to love. That's true. But we can't go around hating any of God's kids. We can't do it. We're going to spend eternity with them. They're they're the same. They're saved the same and equal as we are. They have the same Heavenly Father, the same Lord Jesus, the same Holy Spirit. They have the same home in heaven. It's just that they're maybe behaving themselves in an awkward fashion. And, you know, we need to look past that. Uh, children sometimes behave themselves rather poorly, but we don't, you know, kill them. We don't throw them out of the house. We try and work with that ill behavior, but we look past the ill behavior. Sometimes a child will look up at his mother or his father and say some of the meanest words that um, you could ever say to a mother or father. You don't love me. And there's so many kids do that. Maybe some of us here did that when we were children. But it's a common thing. Kids speak without thinking. That's why their mouth is this big and their ears are just this big. You know, They speak without thinking often. And they can say very hurtful things. And as parents, we... We need to look beyond that 
Our Heavenly Father, He looked beyond our sin and saw our need. And that's how we are to treat others. So, obviously, I'm not talking about extremes if people come at you with weapons and things. I'm just talking about just the, the rubbing, you know, rubbing hubs with other Christians. I told you about the two porcupines way up in Alaska. Did I ever tell you this story? And they, uh, they were freezing. They were cold. It was cold that night. And they needed each other's body heat. But the problem is, being porcupines, when they got close to each other, you see, they offended each other. And the moral of the story is, they needed each other, even though they needled each other. You see that? And the Bible tells us to put up with one another in love. Because, think of it. Just think of these words. No one is as perfect as you are. No one seems to understand like you do. No one seems to be as wonderful as you are. So we just have to realize that, that we'll never get to your status. Now a little tongue in cheek there, but you understand what I'm saying? We all have problems. Even married people in our church have things they don't like about each other. That's life. But if we go around hating the brethren, we got a problem. Now, you're still there in 1 John. Take a look at chapter 3, would you please? Chapter 3, verse 15. Woo! This one, I, I almost hesitate to ask you to read. This is a powerful one. But I'll ask you anyhow. Read verse 15 out loud with me. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now that's an extreme example to make a point, isn't it? That one should be one that we should never forget. We cannot afford to hate anyone, any of God's children. And you turn back to Philippians 4. But if there is someone in the church that you uh, hate, that you despise, you really need to take that to the Lord. You really do. Uh, Because, honest to goodness, you will not grow spiritually until you get that settled. That is something the devil is using in your life to hold you back and hold you down and prevent you from uh, rising and ascending into into great heights of joy with the Lord. It's always going to be a a bone of contention. It'll always be something that'll get you down. So if there is someone in God's family that you just, just despise them, you really need to keep them on the altar. You might say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. They've really done me dirt. I can't be around them without them hurting me. They're always hurting me. They're hurting me. They offend me. Well, maybe we need a little help in there. Maybe we need an intercessor to sit down with you and that person and talk a little bit and try and get things uh, squared around. But... Um, That's where we really need the Lord's help. We need the shield of faith and the Christian armor. Well, we're back here in chapter 4 and verse 1. And Paul is referring to everyone in the church at Philippi as dearly beloved and longed for. And then he says something else. He calls them my joy. My joy. 
these people at Philippi were a joy to Paul. Now there's probably someone, at least one person in your life, who is a joy to you. Wouldn't it be great if there were two? If you had one, wouldn't two be better? Two of God's people that really just brought you such joy and refreshment. Now, these people at Philippi were not perfect by any stretch. They were as human as we are here tonight. So, well, then what makes the difference? I think it's uh, whose eyes you look at them through. Paul wasn't looking at them so much through his own eyes as through the Lord's eyes. Because in, in the Lord's mind and through the Lord's eyes, we are beloved. We are a source of joy to him. God looks past our needs. I'm sorry, he looks past our, our faults and our sins and he sees our needs. And he knows that we're often broken and undone. Sometimes the people who, the Christian people who can cause the most pain themselves are very lonely and, and very uh, pained and, and very hurt. And they may have come through some horrible, ghastly things that you don't know about. So uh, that may be true. So here he calls them his joy. Someone made a, a little acronym of the word joy. If they say, if you want to have joy, the J stands for Jesus. He has to come first. I'd like to remind you that if you're not spending time with Jesus first in the morning, then you haven't put him first. He needs to come first. I have a suggestion for you. You know, Jesus called himself the Alpha and Omega. Remember that? The beginning and the what? And the end, right? And that's important for every day that Jesus be your beginning and your ending. So spend time with him in the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. And you'll find a whole new level of fellowship with the Lord. It's like bookends on the day. It was illustrated for us back in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple with the sacrificial system. They had sacrifices they called the morning sacrifices and they had sacrifices they called the evening sacrifices. So at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, they gave sacrifices to God. Now that's a picture for you and me. And if we're not doing that, then they got us beat. You know, here we are in the New Testament times, the age of grace, with the Holy Spirit and the completed Bible and all kinds of blessings, we at least ought to do what they did, don't you think? Don't you think so? We at least ought to do what they do. Seek the Lord in the morning, seek the Lord in the evening. Morning and evening sacrifices. So J's for Jesus. He's first. The O is for others. Others. Others need to come second. See, well, what about myself? Well, you see, that's where it messes up. Because if you put yourself second, what you've got is J-Y-O. And that doesn't mean much, does it? What is in the world is a J-Y-O? Almost sounds like a dirty, you know, J-Y-O. Oh yeah, well, the same to you. You know, it's one of those phrases, but it, uh, it's not spelt that way. It's spelled J-O-Y. Jesus, others, and then yourself. Too many of us, we switch those letters around and no wonder we're confused. No wonder we don't have the joy. We need to learn to put others before ourselves. That's what Jesus did. And he always had joy. We put others before ourselves uh, when we pray. We need to learn how to be intercessors, to intercede at the throne of grace for others. If all your prayers are about yourself, then 
No wonder you're having trouble. Uh, we need to start learning to step outside our comfort zone, step out of our shell, and start to really pray for others. So Paul referred to these people at Philippi as brethren, dearly beloved, longed for. Uh, he said, my joy. And now what does he say? He says, he calls them my what? Say it. Crown, my crown. This crown was an, a reward crown is what it was in the Greek uh, Olympic Games. And it carried over into the Roman Games too. The winner of some big event was given this wreath. You've seen pictures of them, I'm sure. And it would be placed on the winner's head. That was called a Stephanos. And uh, that's the word here. We translate it as crown. And it's like a victor's crown, if you will. And Paul looked upon these people and referred to them as, as his crown. Now, how could he say that? Well, possibly two reasons. Number one, he led many of these people to the Lord. We talk about the soul winner's crown. And indeed, uh, there will be a crown for those who are a faithful witness for Jesus when we get to heaven, which is going to be sooner than we think. The Bible teaches there's five crowns. One of those crowns is called a soul winner's crown. And the idea is for being a faithful witness. Some Christians, they get saved and they zip the mouth and they put their, you know, their, the brim of their hat down so that they don't have to look anyone in the eye. They take their little candle and hide it under a bushel for 50 years. No one has a clue they're saved. No one has a clue they love the Lord. That's a mistake. We need to let our light shine because Jesus said that no man takes a candle and sticks it under a bushel, but puts it on a candle stand that it can give light to all in the house. Imagine if we put these lights here in the auditorium on the other side of the ceiling so that up in the attic area, it was all nice and bright, but down here it's all dim and dark. Can, can't even see the Bible in front of us. That's no good. We need the light. And that's what we have to do as believers is let our light shine. Now, I know some people are nuts and they, you know, put on great big orange colored wigs three feet wide and they'll wave their head like this. Hey, look at me. I'm a Christian. There are people that do that sort of thing at uh, baseball games and they hold up a big gospel sign or something and they, they, they do that. And the problem is the world laughs. The world laughs at that sort of thing. If anyone could ever be persuaded to repent of their sins and trust in Christ by looking at a guy like that, I'd be amazed. But God sometimes uses amazing things. Rather, we're to live good, solid lives and the devil is trying to stop that from happening and he's trying to stop you and I from letting our light shine. And so that's why chapter 4 talks about power for Christian living. And so he, he says that you guys are not only my joy, but you're also my crown. So number one would be people that uh, you've led to Christ. They'll definitely be your crown, if not stars in your crown. But secondly, also I think, and that's those that you minister to, those whom you serve. Jesus said that whoever will be chief among you will be servant. You remember reading that? No? Yes? Yes? Okay, just checking. And uh, he was right. Uh, he told it like it was. And so that's, that's a, a good thing to think about. 
what job, what ministry could you do to serve others? What ministry could you do? Well, let's see. You could be a missionary and go to Lower Slobovia and try and win that whole nation to the Lord. Even is there such a place as Lower Slobovia? No, I didn't think so. I always wondered. Well, you could be a missionary and go around the world and herald the gospel or an evangelist. Hmm? Or possibly, how about a Christian writer whose writings turn the hearts of thousands to the Lord? But chances are, you and I are never going to do that, are we? The very odd person is able to do that. God doesn't have any more apostles today. He does have evangelists. He's got pastors and teachers. But they're more in the minority, really. It's God's wonderful people that's in the majority. You know, we are likened unto unto sheep, right? Ever wonder where lambs come from? Don't say Australia. Where do the lambs come from, anyhow? Where do you think? The goats? Do the goats produce the lambs? Huh? How about it? How about the donkeys and the horses? Do they produce the lambs? No. Where do the lambs come from? Some of you are very... uh, This is not a trick question. Yeah. They come from other sheep. The sheep produce other sheep. That's how it works, right? It's like, where do the babies come from? Oh, the stork flies, you know, and in his beak and drops them down the chimney or something. No. No, it's people. That's where the babies come from. Where do the Christians come from? Well, ultimately, it's God who births them into his kingdom, but he uses us. He uses Christians. If you've been able to lead someone to the Lord, even if it's a child, boy, there's a crown for you right there. But another way that these people, I think, were Paul's crown was just the fact that he served them. He ministered to them. Um, I look upon you folks as my crown, my joy and my crown. That's how I feel about you. People that you minister to. One day in heaven, God is going to reward you greatly for that. And do you realize something? If tomorrow morning you wake up in heaven, Where's all this time, talent, and treasure, and energy, blood, sweat, and tears you've been pouring into worldly things? Things that don't amount to a row of beans. Gone. Wood, hay, and stubble is all it is. Up in smoke she goes. The only things that are going to last and be blessed in all eternity is the gold, silver, precious stones that will endure the the fire. Well, I've got to move on here. He says, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Turn back a page to chapter 3 and look at verse 12. Now we dealt with these verses not long ago. Paul wrote, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Sounds confusing, but all he's saying is to be like Jesus. That's the goal. That's your ultimate goal here on earth. Because if you're like Jesus, everything else is going to fall into place. Your prayer life, your witnessing, your service, you will do the will of God. 
Did you know that we are in a perfecting process? God is perfecting us. He's making us more and more like Himself. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And if you are not more like Jesus today than the day you got saved, something's not right. You need to be more like Christ today than you ever have been in your life. Of course, what the devil wants is he wants you to go on the merry-go-round where you, you kind of get going, you're spiritual wild, then you fall off, backslide, and boom, back where you started. Then you've got to get back on again, and away you go, and you start making progress, and then, boom, you fall off, and you know there you go. It sort of reminds you of modern-day dieting, doesn't it? The modern-day diets, you go on these things and you lose 10, 20 pounds, then you go off it, and fast as can be, you put it all back on again. Oh, then you start all over. And then it's sometimes even harder the second time around, isn't it? Try and lose those 10 or 15, 20 miserable pounds. And finally, you know, after dying through fasting and exercise, you've lost them. And you say, I've got to take a break. And one week later, you put on five pounds. You say, it's not fair. Oh, it'll never get better than this. Oh, I may as well quit. And that's exactly how the devil works spiritually. And he tries to get Christians to quit. And he wins. A lot of Christians lay down and roll over and play dead. A lot of Christians do that. And God is telling us here to stand fast in the Lord. Don't give in to the ways of the world. And the more time you spend with the Lord Jesus in the morning and the evening, the easier it becomes to step away from the world. Stay separated from the world and, and stay separated unto the Lord. And what does all this mean? It means stand fast in the faith. It means stand fast in liberty. Galatians talks about that. Don't be tangled up with the bondage of legalism. God hasn't called us to live under law. He's called us to live under grace. That doesn't mean that we can just run out and act like idiots and worldlings or something. But it means that we've got the power available to live for him. And then we're told to stand fast in the gospel. If you look back at chapter 1 and verse 27. Philippians, only let your conversation be as it becometh, the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast. There it is, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The unity is very important there. We need to learn to stand fast in the Lord. That's the the message here of verse 1. We move into verse 2. And in, in verse 1, we had a great command. Now in verse 2, we've got a great desire. A great desire. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syneche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Well, here this verse speaks of two ladies in the church. And they're introduced to us, Yodius and Syneche. The name Yodius means a prosperous journey or another way you could say it is success. The name Syneche means uh, having fate on your side. Or another way of expressing it is fortunate. Fortunate. So you've got these two ladies whose names mean success and fortunate. And they were two real honest-to-goodness ladies that were in the church at Philippi. The problem is they weren't talking to each other. They had had some kind of spat. And one sat on one side of the church and the other sat on the other side of the church. Now that kind of thing has been happening all down through the years all kinds of different churches where people kind of get upset with each other. That's why it's important that we examine our hearts according to verse 1. 
and we determine whether we can call all of the the brothers and sisters dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown. It's very important that we do a little self-checkup there. And very quickly, if you do this, very quickly you will know if there's someone that you have a problem with. Well, here's two ladies. We don't know how old they were. Uh, They may have been seniors. They may have been middle-aged. They may have been young ladies. We don't know. But these two ladies are mentioned, and get a load of this. This is the first mention of any kind of problem in this church. That's not bad, is it? There are some churches filled with problems. All you've got to do is read about the church at Corinth. That church was filled. They specialized in problems and trouble. They invented the word. But here at Philippi, it wasn't that way at all. But we do have two ladies, success and fortunate, couldn't seem to get along together. Uh, no, no doubt they had been in that church for quite a while, possibly charter members. They labored in the gospel. But here's the old devil, and here's how the devil works. He tries to set one against the other. And he'll put thoughts in our minds. And sometimes it's good medicine when you have a, a bad thought. Sometimes it's good to say, where did that thought come from? Did Jesus give me that thought? And usually the Holy Spirit will be quick to tell you, no, Jesus didn't give you that thought. The devil, the father of lies, put that one in your head. And once you know where it came from, then half the battle's done. I find some days I have a struggle with something or someone. And, you know, my emotions start to get all out of balance. And after a while, I'll sit down and I'll say, now, wait a minute. What's caused all this? Where all this come from? What's the problem? What's the root of the problem? And that'll really help when you can sort of step to one side and look at yourself and say, now, hold on here, fella. What is it that you're struggling with? What seems to be the problem? And you counsel yourself a little and you can see, oh, okay, I I see better now where the problems come from. You're halfway there. Now all you got to do is bring the Lord in to help you with the other half. Yodius and Syntyche, no doubt, I think were really good ladies. But the devil has a, a philosophy of divide and conquer. That's, that's how he works in a lot of churches. And if he can get one person upset with another, he's divided them and conquered their faith. Now Paul could have rebuked them. He could have written specifically to them and said, Hey, you ladies, what do you think you're doing? You know, no one else is uh, behaving that way and you're causing a bad testimony. Come on, shape up. Get with the, get with the program here, women. He, did, he could have done that, but he didn't. If you look at some of his other writings, there was a time and place where he did rebuke certain ones. He did, but he didn't do that here. That wasn't the proper thing. These ladies, they were not heretics. They were not immoral. They were not wicked. They were good ladies that just fell out of fellowship with each other over probably something silly because oftentimes that's the way it is. It's usually something silly. And so therefore the answer was to to beg and plead and beseech them. That's why he says, I beseech. Yodius and beseech Syntyche. He just didn't give one beseech for both. He gave them each a beseech that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, why is that so important? Well, of course, it's for outreach. You can't reach out if you're all divided against people. 
It's for fellowship, and you won't have fellowship if you're divided. Remember that we've been studying the communion service. Do you remember that? Um, this past uh, this past Sunday, we talked about it. And then um, almost a month ago, back in July when we had it, we, we talked about it as well. And one of the first rules that we talked about back in July was there must be unity in the church. If the church is into some kind of big fist fight, food fight, you did, I didn't sort of thing, you can't have communion. You can't celebrate the table of the Lord if, if you don't have unity in the church. To my knowledge, there's never been a time in the life of our church when we didn't have unity. We've had a couple of times maybe in the last 20 years where, you know, we sort of got a little bit, you know, concerned over something, but it didn't break our unity. In fact, uh, of over 20 years, maybe, maybe two times, I'm sure you could at the most count them on one hand, times when we've ever had sort of our feathers ruffled or something like that. But it's never broken our unity. And in one of those particular times, I was actually so amazed at the, uh, the spirit of unity that prevailed after. It was a real testimony to my heart. But we have to have uh, the same mind in the Lord in order to have fellowship and also for protection. Now this is important. Keep your finger there, please, in Philippians and go over to 1 Peter. Would you do that? Turn to the right. And before John, you have Peter. Find 1 Peter and chapter 4. Part of our, our protection spiritually is by having one mind in the Lord. In other words, the Lord's mind. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about everyone exchanging their mind for the Lord's mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You remember that? We studied that. And so chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verse 1, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. And Peter was giving them instructions so for their protection so that they wouldn't be torn apart. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So if you go back, please, to Philippians, we absolutely need the Lord's mind, you know, for uh, outreach and serving, for fellowship even, but also for protection. We need the Lord's mind. We move now to verse 3, and we'll be stopping here uh, on verse 3, but we have a great instruction in verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women. That's a reference back to Iodias and Syntyche. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So help those women. This was the great instruction. Now Paul is directing his comments here to someone. He says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. And he, he doesn't name the person. And so there's a lot of speculation as to who it is he's talking about. And he calls him a true yoke fellow, i.e. very closely connected with the Apostle Paul and Paul's work, missionary work, and help those women. He's closely connected with Yodius and Syneche. 
Now, my thought, and I could be wrong, is I think that he's referring to Epaphroditus, the pastor of the church. I think that that is the one that he's referring to. I could be wrong, but I think so. I think it is, and here's why. Because um, the pastor uh, in the church would have the probably the most ability to help bring those two ladies back together. That's what I'm thinking. Um, possibly the, this was causing a bit of a rift. It sometimes does when you get two well-loved people in the church and then they, they kind of split you know, their fellowship. You might start getting some on this side and some on that side. So you start getting this division, which is what the devil does. This is how he divides churches. And quite likely the pastor, <clears throat> maybe also the deacons, were able to get involved. But I think mostly here Epaphroditus stood the best chance of sitting down with them and helping to bring them back together. And so by the pastor getting involved and helping them to come together, it would unify the church tremendously. They say that when you break a bone, maybe in your arm or something, and then when it's set and heals, that healing process makes the joint strong so that it'll never break in that spot ever again. I know that's true with welding. When they take two pieces of metal and they weld them together, a good welder who knows what he's doing will make a joint so strong that if those metal pieces are ever pulled, it'll never break at the weld. It might break somewhere else, but it won't break at the weld joint. And so sometimes what happens is when two people fall out of fellowship and they have a disagreement, when they finally get their mind from the Lord, let this mind be in you, and they come back together, they're stronger. They come back stronger than before. That often happens in marriages over the years where a husband and wife will have a falling out over something and then they'll both realize how silly it was. They'll come back together and they'll be stronger. Maybe one will think that the other said something or did something sneaky or, or underhanded and they'll be upset. And then when the truth is found out that they've been faithful, they'll come back together you know, with love, maybe repentance and love. They'll come back together and they'll be a stronger couple because of it. And so here, Yodius and Syneke, uh, he's beseeching them to come back together. Did they ever come back together? I like to think they did. We don't have any indication they didn't, but we don't have any indication they did. But I kind of think that in such a good church as the Church of Philippi, I think they probably came back together. And I think in doing so, it helped the whole church. So these women had a positive effect on Paul and a positive effect, if you look at verse 3, on a guy named Clement and also on many others whose names are in the book of life. Now we're going to end on that. And I think we, we need to just say this. Are you sure tonight that your name is in the book of life? In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. That's very important for everyone who names the name of Christ to do. Because it's so easy these days to think, oh, I must be on my way to heaven because I go to a good church. Or I must be on my way to heaven because I prayed the sinner's prayer. Beloved, make sure, make sure, make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and rejoice. When life comes to an end, you know what's going to matter? 
It's not going to be how much money you made in life. Is it? It's not going to be how many holidays you took or if you were able to scale the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) What's going to matter is your relationship with the Lord and your name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. At the end of the day, isn't that the most important thing for us? Yes? Yes?